Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms, and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to the Daily Red. I know I said I wouldn't be here today, but I am because I'm recording it the day before. Uh, It is Tuesday where I am, Wednesday, as you listen and I just wanted to get something done because I won't be available Wednesday or Thursday. And I thought, well, two days without me. I mean, you, you folks be losing your minds, you know. Who else will be blithering absolute nonsense in your ears if I'm not about? So uh, today, just one topic today, and that is Steve McManaman. Because I spoke about Michael Owen last week and how I feel like the manner in which he left his personality, the fact that he joined United has soured what people think of Michael Owen. And it's understandable. But he is historically massively underrated now. And the other player from the last 30 years that I feel has historically become massively underrated is Steve McManaman. And when I see people putting together their all-time Liverpool teams from the Premier League era, he never gets mentioned anymore. Like, it's this automatic, oh, well, Sadio's the left-winger thing, and I'm sorry, but not for me. I would rather have Steve McManaman over over Sadio. I'd rather have Steve McManaman over any wide player we've had in the Premier League era, bar Mo. It's Mo, then a gap, then McManaman, then Sadio, and then you can talk about whoever else. Because 
you've got to factor in the era McManaman played in, the team that he played in. And I know people will say, oh, he didn't play left wing all the time. That's true. He didn't. He had that free role under Roy Evans. And he was the best player in the league in that position. And in my view, Sadio was the best player in the league in 1920 and was robbed of his Player of the Year award because of a media campaign to award it to the captain because of non-football stuff that has largely turned out to be nonsense. Um, but Steve McManaman was the best player in the in the league for two years. He didn't win Player of the Year either. Now, it was different with him. He didn't win it because of Liverpool and the fact that they weren't good enough to warrant him winning it. So let's have a look at his career, both for Liverpool and then what happened after. So we start off, he makes his debut in the 1991 season, but then he plays two games. Then he plays 51 games, scoring 11 goals in the 91-92 season, the last season of the old first division. Liverpool finished sixth get knocked out of the UEFA Cup in the quarterfinals, our first year back in Europe, get knocked out of the League Cup in the fourth round. Uh, Dean Saunders is our top goal scorer with 10 in the league and 23 overall. He also does very, very well in the UEFA Cup scoring nine. In the League Cup, our top scorers are Ian Rush with three and Steve McManaman with three. And in the FA Cup, our top scorer is Steve McManaman with three. So in the league, like I said, we finished sixth. Six points behind Man City. So when people say City were nothing until the owners, it's not quite true. Like City were a big regional club long before those owners appeared. And they did finish above us in the last season of the old First Division. A season that had begun pretty well. And we were doing quite well through the first 26 games before crumbling and falling apart through the last 16 games and suffering one, two, three, four, five, six, seven defeats, having only lost three in the first 26. In the FA Cup, we knocked out Crewe 4-0 down at Gresty Road. McManaman scored and Barnes got a hat-trick. Then we beat... Uh, sorry, then we drew with Bristol Rovers. Saunders scored in the away game, a 1-1 draw. Dean Saunders scored for us, and Carl Saunders scored for them. Then we played them at home in the replay. McManaman and Dean Saunders scored for us, and Carl Saunders scored again for them. We drew away with Ipswich, and then we beat them in the replay, 3-2 after extra time. It was 1-1. Ray Houghton had scored for us. They equalised through Gavin Johnson in the last minute. They went ahead in extra time through Jason Dizel. The great man Jan Moby scored on 98 minutes to get us equal, and two minutes later, McManaman got us our winner. In the sixth round, we played Aston Villa, and we beat them 1-0. Michael Thomas with the only goal of the game. Then we went down to Portsmouth, and... I, I vividly remember watching this game because the ground, I thought, just looked funny. Um, it, it, it appeared to be almost like 
obviously it is by the sea, but for, there was something about it. It just, I have this picture of it almost like running onto a beach, which obviously it doesn't, but that's the picture I have in my mind. At nil-nil, a very dull game after 90. Darren Anderton, very young Darren Anderton, one of the most highly sought-after young players in England at the time, scores for them. There was a lot of rumours going around that we were in for him, that he was a player we were very keen on, to have him one wing and McManaman in the other wing. He scores in 111 minutes. Five minutes later, time running out. Us... seemingly dead and buried. This game took place at Highbury. I don't know why I have that vision of something else in my head. But I remember watching this game because I remember the Ronnie Whelan goal. I remember the Anderton goal and I remember the Whelan goal and I remember the fact that the game was awful. I don't remember the fact this game took place at Highbury though. Um, Anyway, Barnes takes the free kick, hits the crossbar, it bounces down and Ronnie Whelan bundles it in from short range. Then we played them in a replay at Villa Park. We beat them 3-1 on penalties. And then we got to the final. And we beat Sunderland 2-0. Michael Thomas and Ian Rush got the goals uh, that year. And McManaman was absolutely outstanding in that run in the FA Cup. His goals were a big part of why we had success in the early rounds. And in the final, he was tremendous. His first appearance at Wembley. Uh, you're looking at the Liverpool team that's Bruce Grobler and goal. Rob Jones, another brilliant young player who we brought in from crew at right back. Steve Nicholl played centre-back next to Mark Wright. David Burrows was left back. Ray Houghton, Jan Mulby, Michael Thomas doing Jan's running in midfield. And McManaman on the left. Rush and Saunders up front. I'm almost certain this is the year we lost John Barnes to the torn Achilles. I'm almost certain that that's why he's not in the in the matchday squad. Uh, Mike Marsh and Mark Walters were our subs on the day. Neither were brought on. But I, McManaman was excellent in that final. That final is fairly easy to find. So you can go and watch that. He was really, really good and caused them a lot of problems. Uh, we move on in McManaman's career. The following season, the first season of the Premier League, he plays 31 games in the league, 40 in all competitions, scores seven goals. But Liverpool, not particularly not particularly good that year. Um, again, Sunes is the manager. Ian Rush is our top scorer that year, but we finished sixth. We go out of the FA Cup in the third round, the League Cup in the fourth round, and the UEFA Cup in the second round. Not a particularly good season. The following year, again, we're not very good. But McManaman is a good player and he does play well, but he doesn't get the goal return that we've had in previous seasons, only two in, thir- in 34. Soon as is sacked in the January, Roy Evans takes over. And Roy Evans taking over was probably the best thing that ever happened to Steve McManaman because Roy Evans enabled him and gave him a lot more freedom. So that year, we finish eighth. We go out of the FA Cup in the third round, the League Cup in the fourth round, and we've got no European football to enjoy at all. Uh, into 94-95. Now, 94-95 is remembered most for us winning the League Cup. And the final is remembered as the McManaman final. Um, we finished fourth in the league. 
which obviously, if if the Champions League had been the way it is now back then, Evans had us in the Champions League a couple of times, but unfortunately it wasn't the case at the time. Uh, we got knocked out of the FA Cup in the sixth round. We won the League Cup, though. And that League Cup run, he was just phenomenal throughout. It was the Coca-Cola Cup. We played Burnley. We beat them 2-0. John Scales and Robbie Fowler scored in the first leg. Then in the second leg, we beat them 4-1. Two from Redknapp, one from Fowler, and one from Nigel Clough. Uh, Rush scored two to beat Stoke 2-1 in the third round. In the fourth round, Rush got a hat-trick as we beat what would be the champions, Blackburn, 3-1. Rush scored again against Arsenal to beat them in the quarterfinal, 1-0. In the semi-final, Fowler scored late at home to Crystal Palace and Fowler scored early away to Crystal Palace and we beat them 2-1. But the player who was carrying that team was Steve McManaman. His ability to play between the lines and create chances for others had us really flowing. Now, Fowler was unreal that season with 31 goals, 19 from Rush. Barnes is back. He gets nine from central midfield, partnering Jamie Redknapp, who got six. We've got Scales, Ruddock, and Bab as a back three. We've got a rotating cast at left-back, Stigging Bjornaby, Steve Harkness played a few games there. Rob Jones is right wing back and obviously McManaman then is playing in that number 10 position. And in that final against Bolton, he was just sensational. Scored in the 37th minute, scored again in the 68th minute. Um, the Liverpool team on the day, for those that either don't remember or are too young to remember, David James, Rob Jones, right wing back, Stigging and be left wing back. Scales, right side centre-back, Ruddock in the middle and Bab on the left. Barnes and Redknapp in midfield. McManaman is the 10. Rush and Fowler up front. Our bench, Mark Walters, Michael Thomas and Alec Chamberlain, and none of whom were called upon on the day. McManaman gets the two goals. He's awarded man of the match. He was just a level above everyone else on the pitch that day. They had some good players, despite the fact that they were uh, what we would now call a championship team. Uh, Mixu Padalainen and John McGinley were bustly centre-forwards. Alan Thompson would go on and do really well with with, with Celtic. Uh, he played left wing for them. You had Jason McAteer and Richard Sneakers in the middle of the park. McAteer obviously played for us. Sneakers was a good player. And you had Alan Stubbs at centre-back, who unfortunately decided to curse his own career by playing for Everton. But Alan Stubbs was a really good defender back in the day. So... Um, they were, despite the fact that they were a championship team, they got promoted at the end of that year. They were a good team. They had some good players. But McManaman was the class on the day. Best player on the pitch. It wasn't even close. Um, He'd also, I, I don't know if I mentioned, he was man of the match in the FA Cup final as well. So two cup finals in his career to date, man of the match in both. Unfortunately for him, that's the extent of the silverware he won with Liverpool. But in 95-96 and 96-97, I believe he was the best player in the league. We finished third. We lost the FA Cup final because David James decided to come and do a flappy. We got knocked out in the fourth round of the League Cup and the second round of the UEFA Cup. But McManaman was un. Believable in that season 
53 games in all competitions, 10 goals, 6 and 38 in the Premier League. But his playmaking, he led the league in assists that year. He was just on a different level. And when the pundits would talk about Liverpool on your Super Sundays of the time, it was always, if you stop McManaman, you stop Liverpool. You don't need to worry about anything else. Stop him and that team doesn't function very well. And it was absolutely the case. He was so, everything went through him. Absolutely everything went through him. His ability to pick the ball up deep in his own half and carry it 40, 50, 60 yards, beating players without having lightning pace. Like he was quick. He had a very unusual running style. He took very short steps as opposed to like a player his size because McManaman was tall. He was very upright. But he took really short steps. He had incredible close control of the ball. And I would argue he was the best player in the league in the 95-96 season. Now in 95-96, Les Ferdinand won the PFA Player of the Year and Eric Cantona won the players or the, the Football Writers Player of the Year. Cantona won because United won the league. But the real reason he won is because of what he'd done with booting the fan the year before and then coming back. So he missed the first six weeks of the tournament of the, of the season and then came back against us at Old Trafford. He scored that day, but he was dreadful, absolutely dreadful up until the new year. And it's widely reported that he was out of shape. He hadn't been training properly while he was suspended for booting the fan down at, at Palace. He had obviously the legal case on his mind and all kinds of stuff. He was genuinely Shocking until the turn of the year. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to the deal. Listen to the deal on Spotify. And I've always been annoyed that he won Footballer of the Year based on January to May, when he was very good. Very, very good in that back half of the season. But McManaman was brilliant from August to May. He was great all season long. Les Ferdinand, super Les, he won player of the year because he was the because of the goals. Like that's why he won it. Because players back then, less so now, but back then for certain, far less games were televised. There was maybe one or two games televised. So players could only really judge other players based on how they played against them and what they saw in match the day. And what you saw in match of the day that year with Les Ferdinand was a player who'd, at 29, 
finally gotten his big move after years of being linked to top clubs. He joined Newcastle and he was he was very, very good. He got 25 goals in the league that year, 29 in all competitions. But he wasn't the best player in the league. He just wasn't. And it's always annoyed me that he won it. They didn't give it to Shearer, who'd been top scorer that year with 31 in 35, largely out of, I think, voter fatigue because he'd won it the year before. He would also win it the year after, and we'll come to that. But it was very rare that you'd see a player win back-to-back. Like, if you look at the history of the PFA Award, the first player to win back-to-back is Thierry Henry. 2002-2003 and 2003-2004. He's the first one to win back-to-back. So it, it just felt to me like, Ferdinand got it because they couldn't give it to Shearer because he'd won it the year before. But the truth is, the player who was stiffed on it was Steve McManaman. The following year, 96-97, Liverpool finished fourth. So again, top four. Fourth round of the FA Cup, fifth round of the League Cup. We got to the semi-final of the Cup Winners' Cup that year and got knocked out by PSG. But McManaman was brilliant. Again, 10 goals in 51 games, rarely misses a game. Consistently creative. We got goals from Berger that year, from Barnes, from Fowler, from Collymore. We were really potent going forward. We just couldn't figure out that central midfield balance. Rob Jones missed a big chunk of that season as well. He played three games. And he would have made a big difference because he was so good. But McManaman, for me, again, should have won Footballer of the Year. Shearer wins the PFA award. Fair enough. You know, not really going to argue too much with it. Because he did score a ton of goals. But he got 25 and 31, you know, which is... A pretty unbelievable uh, three-year run that Shearer has just put together there. 34 and 42, 31 and 35, 25 and 31. He was in absolutely inevitable as a goal scorer. And he's another one that's always left out of certain conversations. Like, having a conversation about when I said, I think Mo right now is the number two attacker in Premier League history. And some fella said, oh, well, uh, you know, what about Aguero? I think Aguero's level with him. I love Aguero. Aguero's not on Mo's level. Shearer is above Aguero. Kane is above Aguero. But both of them are below Salah because they can't do what he does. He could do what they did in terms of the goals. They can't do what he does. They can't do what Henri did. Henri did, but Mo can do what Henri did. Um, anyway, 96-97, Football Writers Player of the Year, Gianfranco Zola. And again, just no. I'm not not having this at all. He didn't join until November. We didn't have transfer windows the way we do now. You could buy, I think, up until March back then. He joins in November. And don't get me wrong, he was brilliant. But he only played 23 games in the league. I'm not having him as Footballer of the Year 
when he's missed over a third of the season. And he isn't playing better than McManaman. It's just that he's new and he's shiny and he's come from Italy. Like, I'm just not having it. Steve McManaman should have won one of those four awards in those seasons. In fact, he should have won one in each season. There's no way there were two players better than better than him in each season. Not a chance. Absolutely no way. I think you can even make a case that in 97, 98, he might have been the best player in the league. He gets 11 goals in 36 games, 12 and 46 in all competitions. Again, he's playing in a team that aren't competing for the title, but we finished third, you know? Third round of the FA Cup, semi-final of the League Cup, out of the UEFA Cup in the second round. Michael Owen is a top scorer. Fowler misses a bunch of time um, in that season. He plays uh, only 19 league games. McManaman is carrying the likes of Ivan Leonardson, the ghost of Michael Thomas, and Danny Murphy around the pitch. McAteer is in and out of the team. Berger's in and out of the team, only makes six starts. Paul Ince is the only other regular starter. Redknapp misses half the season. Like, we were bare bones that year with players missing. Even in defence, none of our defenders started more than 24 games. Jones started 20. Kvarma started... Kvarma. Kvarma and Phil Bab played 42 games between them. And we still finished third. And people want to argue with me against Steve McManaman when he's carrying this. Other defenders to play a lot. Steve Harkness, 25 games. Stigging Gabjornaby, 25 games. Dominic Matteo, 26 games. And a very young, very rash Jamie Carragher played 20 games. Neil Ruddock played twice. And Mark Wright played six times. We had no defence. We had a situation in goal which is very similar to what Arsenal have now where we had a goalkeeper who was talented, a good shot stopper, but had no concentration skills, and we brought in someone else. In our case, it was David James, and we brought in Brad Friedel. So the defence is a mess. The goalkeeping situation is up in the air. The midfield is a very mixed batch, but loads of injuries. And then in attack, we're missing Robbie Fowler half the season, and we still finish third. Now, Owen was great, and Owen was a big part of it. But without McManaman, Owen would have been standing up front by himself, twiddling his thumbs, or playing with something else. Because there was nothing else in that team. It was Steve McManaman and friends. Now, that season, Dennis Burkamp won both the PFA Player of the Year and the Football Writers Player of the Year. And Arsenal were brilliant in 97-98. He was sensational. So I wouldn't argue too much against him. If you want to say he was better than McManaman and McManaman was the number two player in the league, that's fine. I can agree with that. But there's no way in the world that there were two players better than him in the previous two seasons. Not a chance. His last season... Bit of a damp squib. He plays only 31 games. He had some injuries. He fell out with Julier, as a few players did. 
Um, we had the co-manager nonsense till November. Then Julier took over by himself. We finished seventh. We went out of everything early. Nobody was happy. Everybody looked miserable. Uh, Julier tried to sell McManaman in the January to Barcelona. He tried to sell him in the previous summer as well when he was coming in the door. Um, McManaman refused to leave in the, in the January. I think he, he'd agreed the summer move and something fell through. They bought Rivaldo instead. Barca bought Rivaldo instead and McManaman ended up staying. Uh, Julier tried to resurrect the deal in January. I think McManaman said no. And he signed to go to Real Madrid. And we lost our best player by a considerable margin. We lost him for free. And we should have been entering into a really exciting time at the club. Like that should have been the beginning of something really special. When you look at some of the players who were in that squad at the time, you've got Rob Jones, 28 years of age, should have been in his pomp, the best right back in the country, injury plate. McManaman, 27, 26 years of age, sorry, 20, 27 years of age. One of the two to three best players in the league. Genuinely a world-class player. Robbie Fowler. Fowler at that point was 24. Should have just been getting starting started in terms of hitting his peak. Plagued by injuries. Michael Owen was a kid. He was 20. He was actually 19. He didn't turn 20 till the November of the 99-2000 season. Owen was incredible. He was the hottest prospect in world football. He was then what Mbappe was four or five years ago. And then you look further down the squad list, you've got Patrick Berger, really good player, 26 years of age. You've got Jamie Redknapp, really good controlling midfielder, 26 years of age, plagued by injuries. You've got Paul Ince, a little bit older, 32 now, but an experienced leader and winner. You've got young, very young Jamie Carragher, 21 years of age, versatile defender, can play anywhere. And then you've got Steven Gerrard, 19 years of age, potential all-world type talent, dynamic force of nature. Owen and Fowler up front, Gerard right side, McManaman left side, Redknapp and Ince in the middle, Rob Jones, Jamie Carragher. You're a centre-back, a left-back and a goalkeeper away from having something really good. But injuries ruin so much of it. To Jones, to Redknapp, to Fowler, and then obviously McManaman leaving. And he's been slandered for how he left. And I think that's just because the club played the PR game really well, because when he's talked about it, he wanted to stay. The club didn't want to pay him what he was worth. And what he was worth was whatever the top players in the league were earning because he was one of the very best. 
Now, obviously, he goes on to Real Madrid and he completely changes his game from this free-flowing attacking player who plays on the wing or plays as a, a roaming number 10. He sits in in central midfield and Real get to the final of the European Cup in his first season. And you look at their team and you see Iker Casillas, Ivan Helguera, Carranca, Campo, Salgado, Roberto Carlos. So you're back five. Salgado right, Carlos left, you the three in the middle. You've got Redondo sitting in as a holding midfielder. And the two lads in midfield with him are Raul, who is a 10-slash-striker, and Steve McManaman, who's in there not to attack, but to control, and he was brilliant. Go and watch that final, the 2000 Champions League final. Steve McManaman is absolutely outstanding in that game. Absolutely outstanding. Scores Real's second goal in a 3-0 win, and wins his first European Cup. The following year, he wins La Liga with Real. Plays 28 games in the league, 40 in all competitions, after 50 the year before. Scores two goals. Real, at this point, are beginning to add more and more Galacticos. And there's a thought that McManaman's probably going to get squeezed out here. You move forward to the 2002 Champions League final. This is the Galactico era of Real Madrid. Their team has Hierro, Carlos, Makaleli, Figo, Zidane. On the bench, you've got Steve McManaman. But who's the first sub that they bring in? The 2-1 up because of Zidane's incredible goal. There's half an hour left. They decide it's time to try and take a little bit more control of this game. They bring off Luis Figo, who's one of the three or four best players in the world, and they bring on Steve McManaman to make them more solid. He completely changed his game when he went there, and he became a selfless, controlling midfielder who still had the ability to do things going forward, but didn't necessarily need to, to have an impact on the game. He wins his second Champions League. And then in his final season at Real, because he's won something in the first three, he wins his second La Liga title. He only plays 15 games in the league. He's very much a squad player. He has a lot of injuries, 27 games in all competitions. But he's still someone that Del Bosch relies on. He's still someone that Del Bosch rates quite heavily. His contract ran out. He wanted to come back to England. He wanted to come back to Liverpool. But it wasn't to be. Houllier just wouldn't have it. And he ends up going to Manchester City to join Kevin Keegan. Now, Fowler was there which was great. So he had Fowler to go to, but he goes to City and it just doesn't work for him. He's slowed down. He's lost some of his burst. 
he's changed his game to suit Real and City want him to be the old McManaman and he's not that player anymore. He plays two seasons for them and he retires. And he retires at only 33. Now there's a couple of things here. One of the great scandals of English football is Steve McManaman only having 37 caps because there was no better English player in the 90s than Steve McManaman. Simple as that. So him only having that many caps is a farce. Um, the likes of big caps does Darren Anderson have. England, who for years couldn't find a left winger, had McManaman and refused to use him. Darren Anderson got 30 caps across the same span. Now, Darren Anderson was a good player. He wasn't a patch on McManaman, and he also missed a ton of time injured. But he was always in the squad and always got opportunities, whereas McManaman wasn't given the same kind of opportunities. It will always annoy me that he doesn't have 70, 80 caps because that's what he warranted. He didn't play for England again after he turned 29, which is a joke, an absolute joke. Like, think of the 2002 World Cup. England lining up with Trevor Sinclair on the left wing rather than Steve McManaman because Mac is at home watching from the couch. Having just played and won his second European Cup, he doesn't warrant a spot in the England team. Absolute joke. He's criminally underrated by our own fan base because he was unfortunate to play in an era where we didn't have the success. The thing is, if the game then was as the game is now, that era under Roy Hodgson would be looked at far more favourably despite the fact that we only won two trophies because you've got four consecutive top four finishes until that messy situation when Julier was brought in. So we'd have had Champions League every year and the likes of McManaman and Fowler and Owen would have thrived in the Champions League. And in all likelihood, had we been playing Champions League regularly, McManaman would have stayed for below what he was worth. So anyway, there is my Steve McManaman ramble. Uh, I won't be here tomorrow, Thursday. There will be nothing for me to, on Thursday. Uh, but Friday, hopefully, fingers crossed, all is well, and I can can uh, get some stuff done. I will talk to you all then. Have yourselves a pleasant Wednesday evening. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.